Welcome to the CEC report for the 10th of May 2019. I'm Elisa Barwick and joining me today is CEC Research Director Robert Barwick. Welcome Robert. Thanks Elisa. And on today's show, Senators protecting the banks are sacrificing Aussies to biggest crisis since 1890s depression and Christchurch Massacre Royal Commission must investigate the five eyes. Now before we start today, don't forget that the Citizens Electoral Council is a political party and so therefore you, you can, can vote, vote for us. You can vote for us on the uh, in the Senate ballot in every state except for the ACT, so make sure you put us first in the Senate. Uh, and you can also vote for us in the House of Representatives if you're in the seat of Mallee or Corwell in Victoria. And you can go to our website to find out all the information about who our candidates are, their profiles, our policies and so forth. Uh, but do call in for more information, including um, a sample copy of our weekly publication, which will give you a bit more background and information on who we are and what we're fighting for to change this country. Especially for the last segment of Lisa on the Christchurch Massacre, we have a, we have a feature that people can call in and get, because it went over a few issues of the alert service, people can call in and get that information, especially ask about the, the, uh, the package of material on the Christchurch Massacre. We'll talk about that later. But firstly on today's show, Senators protecting the banks are sacrificing Aussies to biggest crisis since 1890s depression. So we've got a housing disaster shaping up to be worse than the 1890s, which we'll talk about shortly. We've got a banking crisis as a result, and we've got the people, the citizens of Australia, in the front lines of the crisis. Now, the CEC has taken action to address this. We've tried to uh, fight to prevent new bail-in laws being implemented to steal the people's savings in a time of crisis in order to save the banks. But even more importantly, our latest campaign has been to get onto the floor of the parliament legislation to prevent the banks gambling, which would prevent the massive losses in the first place, yeah. uh, in the form of Glass-Steagall banking legislation to separate um, the speculative aspect of banks from their other commercial banking activities. So this has been a subject of a committee in the Australian Senate because Senator Pauline Hanson tabled the legislation back in February, referred that to the Senate Economics Legislation Committee uh, and so they held a quote-unquote inquiry into this, uh, but it was a complete sham because it intersected the election and the head of the committee, Senator Jane Hume, um, had no time whatsoever to spend on analysing the thousand or so submissions, some which came from very important institutions. Uh, she was out on the campaign trail trying to get re-elected. Which she deliberately set up that way. She should have suspended the inquiry until after the election, but they persisted with it during the election because they had no in they wanted to kill it off, basically. Mm. And that was actually shown in the fact that they reported several days early from the final deadline date. Uh, and so that um, final report of that committee was issued in the last couple of days. And that's what we want to talk about now, their findings. Um, as tacky as they may be and um, you know, ill-prepared as they may be. Now, Senator Jane Hume's final conclusion was that the committee recommends that the Senate not pass this bill. So they are firmly against Glass-Steagall to protect ordinary savers and depositors. The Labor senators uh, added to the report additional comments. They concluded that Labor senators do not support the separation of banks bill. So even though they went on and on in the report about how great they are in opposing bank malpractice and so forth, 
Um, they nonetheless oppose this, saying they've got complete confidence in the ability of the RBA, APRA, etc., to manage the system, so the existing entities that have created the disaster. Uh, but interestingly, and we'll talk about this more, the Greens have in this report an entire section which is a dissenting report uh, and they say that after the Royal Commission, the Greens believe the job of you know, reforming the banks remains unfinished and that the root cause of the problem, universal banking, needs attending to as is proposed by this bill. And that universal banking is the opposite of what yeah. you have when Glass-Steagall is implemented. conglomerate banks, banks all mixed together, all different types of financial services mixed in together. So the Greens actually recommended that the committee continue its inquiry into this bill to enable consideration of further evidence. And it was very clear from what they said that they know that there was not serious and adequate yeah. uh, discussion and time for analysis of this. Well, look, and I think... There's, there's a few things to say. So we know that the what you've just gone through shows you that the parliament, the senators on this committee, except for the Greens, um, you know, went through the motions and have tried to just ignore this net, this issue, right? Bury it is in, in, in many respects so that they can continue to protect the banks, right? And I'll go through their specific things in, in a second. But that does not undermine the fact that the very achievement of this inquiry was huge. Um, we've been fighting for Glass-Steagall since 2009, early 2009, because the issue of Glass-Steagall came up in the wake of the 2008 crash, right? And everyone recognised that this type of banking had caused it. And so, okay, let's separate the banks. But what we're dealing with is, as before deregulation in the, in the late 70s and early 80s started, the banking model was different. Banks made their money by helping their customers make money, mm. right? Under deregulation, the banks um, were able to make their money by feeding off their customers, feeding off the economy like a parasite. And Glass-Steagall would separate the parasite from the host. And if you have a parasite and you cut it off from the host, the parasite dies. And that's why the banks have fought this so furiously. And in America, in the United Kingdom, in Europe, and in Australia, when it's come up, they have used all their power to stop it, right? to try and stop it. So we've been fighting for this for more than 10 years now, and we have been able to witness in the last 12, 18 months this extraordinary progress where for years where the banks were seemingly so all-powerful in Australia they could just ignore it, now they're fighting on our territory. We have legislation in Parliament. We're forcing the Parliament to conduct these sort of inquiries. And although that they're seemingly showing the, power, the banks still have power to be able to suppress the outcome of the inquiry, right, they are fighting, we're making them address it. And they end up, the major parties who are persisting in protecting the banks, as we said in the headline, mm. they expose themselves for that fact, right? And therefore the power of the banks gets weaker because it all comes down to the, how the public starts to perceive this over time, right? And they would hope the Royal Commission buries all this um, and they can just go on their merry way and we're going to make sure it doesn't because the major parties are saying following the Royal Commission, yes, we will fix the banks. And that's just words. Mm. We say here's a policy... And that proves that what they're saying is just words because when they've got a policy to deal with, to separate them, that would address all those problems in the Royal Commission. Oh, no, 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 no. So just quickly, um, Jane, just go through the excuses. Jane Hume, ex-banker. Well, she's, you know, we call her the senator for bankers. She's the one who's in there to, to, to um, uh, rig it for the banks. That, her, her finding is no surprise at all. 
The Labour Senators, that was so pathetic it wasn't funny. If you read the two pages of the Labour Senators' contribution, it was supremely pathetic. They don't even want to go there, effectively. Mm. But their ultimate thing was, all we need to do is implement the findings of the Royal Commission. Hang on a minute. Does everyone remember that when those findings of the Royal Commission were handed down after a 12-month inquiry that showed the banks to be total criminals, how did the banks respond to that? Mm. They celebrated. Okay. Their shares went through the roof. The Labor Party is committed to doing the things that the banks celebrated. That's not holding the banks to account. If that's Labor, that's a fraud, right? They are condemning themselves by their own words. But equally, um, I, was th I was equally passionate, Lisa, a year ago. You remember, you and I were on this show, and I had a crack at Senator Peter Wish Wilson for his role in the passage of the APRA law. Mm -hmm. Well, the same senator, a year later has made a contribution to this, which is excellent, fundamentally excellent. He's, what the Senator Wish Wilson has put in this report as a dissenting report is one of the best things any parliament in the world has had to say about the need for banking separation. I'll just, um, a couple of highlights here. Let me, let me give you two quotes beyond what you've said. He says beyond, he's talking about the size of the banking the system Beyond a certain point, an oversized banking and finance sector actually constrains the real economy. In part, this is because no one really understands the interconnectedness between complex financial products and everyday life. Risk is everywhere and it's everyone's problem whether you signed up for it or not. And the second really good quote is, in the case of those on the inside of universal banks, Universal banking has failed to provide much in the way of market discipline or protection against the build-up of systemic risk. Instead, what, with the government compelled to act as a lender of last resort, universal banking encouraged market concentration and gave rise to institutions that are too big to fail, riddled with moral hazard and blithe to the risk they are taking on. That was the global financial crisis. And with a few other reasons, the, the Greens have said this is a very important reform that must be done. And fundamentally, they took the best approach to this inquiry, which is it should be a proper inquiry. Open it all up. Let all the experts come in. Let's discuss this mm. properly. That's how Parliament's supposed to work. And so we really recommend this is, you know, we've, we've actually achieved quite a lot here through this process, showing up the protectors of the banks, but, but also um, getting a very good uh, uh, authoritative endorsement of Glass-Steagall in the Australian Parliament. Now, I also want to talk about how they've raised bail-in, but first we'll take a quick break and be right back. Welcome back to the CEC report where we're talking about the fact that Australian senators, uh, some of them at least, are putting the Australian banks ahead of the people in this new oncoming financial crisis we're facing. Um, and one of the things that was raised in the report of the Economic Senate Legislation Committee about our Glass-Steagall bill was bail-in, which is the policy that was brought in on February 14th, 2018, uh, which is emergency powers for APRA, the Prudential Regulator, that in a crisis they can actually take certain bonds uh, overseas, they can certainly take deposits and bail it in to um, replenish their um, capital supplies. So we, of course, fought a long campaign about that. They referenced it because it had been brought up by so many of the people uh, from the submissions that were sent into the committee. Uh, and 
they lied about it. Again, as usual, they said, oh, no, we're not concerned about bail-in. This capacity yeah, doesn't that can't, exist. That can't happen. The, that part of the, the, the report is just a fraud. They just, whenever they wait to say, that can't happen. Denied it as usual. But we put out a press release on the 9th of May, headlined, while Italy renounces bail-in, Australian government plans stronger laws to steal bank deposits. And it references a 29th April report from the Australian, uh, sorry, from the Financial Stability Board based in Switzerland and run by the Bank for International Settlements. It's a peer review report which says that reforms are ongoing or planned in six jurisdictions that do not have resolution planning frameworks in place. And they reference that that includes Australia. Now, we do have a, a framework in place, but it's not the full hog. The difference, what we have is a contractual bail-in system, which basically means that you've got to have what they bail-in has to have bail-in in the terms and conditions. But... That was the intention of legislation. Our legal advice said, well, this is worded so broadly, you'd actually, you cannot rule out that it could be a backdoor for deposits. But what they're wanting, so we, that, we know that's what we've got, mm. right? There's a danger that it could be used for deposits. What they want is a full statutory bail-in system where it's fully legislated that in the legislation, yes, we will grab deposits under these circumstances. The IMF is demanding that. In other words, stronger laws mm. than we've already got. Yeah. So this is another instance where they continue to protect the banks ahead of the people, where in countries like Italy, for instance, where bail-in has been used already several times by the laws of the European Union, um, Italy not only is opposing bail-in and trying to wind it back, they're actually paying back money that was confiscated under several cases of bail-in uh, because investors were not aware that what they were invested in could be confiscated. So Australians need to take that into a, to really think about that. Our government is pushing ahead with something that is provably disastrous mm. for all of us, and we would argue for the financial system because it will destroy confidence in banks. The Italian government is leading a revolt against it and what they're, what they're doing is has implications for the whole European Union. Mm. And this is a big issue for Australia because uh, we're coming to a point with the housing crisis going the way yeah. that it's going and the jeopardy that that puts our banks in with 60% or more of their loans involved in mortgages. Um, this is going to mean if bail-ins on the books, it is going to be used. Now, yeah. we had a press it's not release. academic. That's right. We had a press release on the 8th of May. And you stated in there, every indicator in the housing market is suddenly very bad. What we are witnessing is shaping to be a bigger property crash than the 1890s depression. And like the 1890s land crash, when most Australian banks failed, the banks today are in deep trouble. So what are some of these indicators and give us a sense of what we're looking at? Yeah, well, we have the last time we had a property bubble this big was in the 1890s, right? But this time... You, back then, you didn't have derivatives and all those types of things on top of it, right? But this is a massive property bubble. Prices have been falling, and there's no indicator there's anything to stop those prices falling. And when they start hitting those key um, uh, landmarks, like 20% down, 30% down, etc., the panic's just going to get bigger and bigger. And there's, but the signs the panic's growing already. So here are the so people saying, you know, is it? Are we, are we going to? at a turnaround point yet? Is it going to start going up? The, the, the media is trying to talk it up. But here's what we know. Credit growth, which is the increase in lending by banks into housing, is at its lowest level in recorded history. Mm. This credit growth has been measured since the 1970s. It's now at 4%. It's never been this low. If they want to grow a bubble, 
banks have to lend money at existing prices and then turn around in a month's time and lend more money at higher prices and then lend more money at higher prices. In other words, credit has to grow a lot, right? So this is credit growth is not enough. There's this default in greenfield development lots. So this is when people put down a deposit on a on a lot in a greenfield development, which is brand new land turned over to development, right? They put down a deposit of 10% on it, and when and then there's a date by which they have to come up with the balance, right? And so they've been putting down, you know, thirty thousand dollar deposits on three hundred thousand dollar lots, that type of thing. Well, right now in Melbourne, Melbourne's leading Australia, the defaults on that are at 27%. 27% of people are defaulting, running away from their deposits on mm. those lots. It was 12% at Christmas. It was 2% a year ago. That's a massive increase. Sydney's at 26%. This is, this is actually quite broad around Australia. Um, dwelling approvals year on year in Australia are down 27%. Right? And the reason they're down is because developers are not requesting approvals because they're, they're, they're flat out dealing with the stock that they've got. Mortgage stress and delinquencies are on the rise. This is really key because these are the people that have the existing debt we've got. And they interest rates are at record low. We're supposedly got low inflation, they say, and low unemployment, both of which are rubbish, really. But there's a, there's a, there's a distinct jump up in 30-day and 90-day arrears. And even the ANZ Bank commented on this distinct jump up and said, well, we're not really sure what's, what's um, happening there. And as a consequence of all this, negative equity around Australia is soaring. And I'll tell you what hap- negative equity means. We're, we're pulling th- figures together. I've been in discussion with Philip Seuss of LF Economics about this. Um, people don't appreciate how much of the spending in the economy that's kept the economy going in this last 20 years on the property bubble goes back to those CBA ads, equity, mate, you know, buy a car, buy a house, buy, buy a boat, buy a new lounge room or whatever, tap into your equity. People have been putting their private school kids' fees on withdrawing equity from their home to pay for that sort of thing. It's, it's called the wealth effect. It's driven a lot of the spending in the economy. That only happens when the price of your house keeps going up and up. And if it's going down, like it is, you, you run out of all that equity, you get into the negative equity, and there's a huge amount of money that just used to flow into the economy that suddenly stopped, right? This is a, this is a big problem waiting to blow up in the property owners' faces, but worse, the banks' faces, because no, no banks in the world have been exposed, as exposed to the housing market as Australia's banks, because 65% of the lending of each of the big four is in property. And in America, the maximum it got to for banks was like 40%. Right? This is a huge problem. And just take a quick look at the human impact of this. We'll give a couple of examples. You have a Perth homeowner that was cited in the press, Julia Hewitt. She'd been paying off her interest-only mortgage, which they'd kept rolling it over to interest-only for 10 years. Suddenly, the banks have cracked down and said, sorry, no more interest-only. You've got to start paying interest plus principal, which would be a $900 a month jump in repayments. So she's selling up, which she doesn't obviously want to do. Um, You have cases like this, which was on the front page of the West Australian, uh, where people are living in a tent city just south of Perth. So these people have been driven out of the Perth property market because there's nothing available. And two other cases, Elisa, quickly. So when John Adams, the economist, was here on our show two weeks ago, he and I visited the suburb of Donnybrook. You can get onto the John Adams Martin North episode on that on, on their channel called In the Interest of the People on YouTube. And it's called... The show is called Heaven Help the Poor Souls of Donnybrook because that's shaping up to be ground zero for a massive crash out there. But Donnybrook is repeated right around Australia. And in the Perth suburb of Allenbrook, which it might be the sister of Donnybrook, 
is something like 20% of all house sales at the moment are repossession sales, mm. right? This is, this is actually go, uh, increasing rapidly, this mm. problem, and that means a banking crash, and that means that we have to have our protections in place. Yeah. So I'll be right back to talk about Christchurch after this quick break. Welcome back to the CEC Report. We're now discussing Christchurch Massacre Royal Commission Must Investigate the Five Eyes. And as we mentioned at the start of the show, you can call in for a copy of a compilation of articles we've put together over the recent weeks. Uh, obviously, a lot of people would have big questions about this in any case, and we can only talk about it briefly today. But the big question mark is why would the intelligence agencies not have known about this guy? Uh, how could he possibly have slipped through the nets, particularly given the awesome intelligence collection capabilities of the Five Eyes, of which New Zealand and, of course, Australia are a part, together with the US, UK and Canada. And this guy left a trail of crumbs a mile wide. Unbelievable. I mean, he was widely travelled. He'd been picked up in activity with right-wing groups from Europe to the Balkans to Ukraine. He had had two members of his gun club that had... Uh, reported his activities to the police because even gun club members were very alarmed, Disturbed. which is unusual. Um, he'd been active on these far-right web chat forums that were encouraging terrorism, which obviously they would keep an eye on, the authorities. He'd advertised his plans ahead of time a couple of days, hours before, of course, live streaming the actual attack. Um, and what we've shown in recent documentation we've put together, and particularly our terrorism pamphlet, is that Virtually every case in both Australia and the United Kingdom of terrorist attacks in the last few years, the, um, the perpetrator has been either very well known to authorities or acting in conjunction with those authorities under their care. Um, now, what we picked up about this case, though, of the Christchurch assass uh, murderer is very... Uh, numerous similarities to the case of Martin Bryant in Port Arthur and we'd put together a study in 1996 to 97 showing that Martin Bryant had been under the psychological care of a senior representative of what's known as Tavistock, the British Tavistock Institute which is Britain's premier psychological warfare outfit. Um, now there are also parallels in the case uh, of Tarrant, the Christchurch killer. Um, Tavistock talks about social, creating social turbulence or how social turbulence and global events by their horrific nature induce trauma in the population, uh, unleashing what they call a paradigm effect or a paradigm shift in the population. Tarrant had used exactly such language, calling for the creation of a crucible of crisis to unleash tumultuous times. He said that only in times of radical change and social discomfort can great and terrific change occur? He said we must destabilise and discomfort society, including through radical and violent change. Of course, this is in his manifesto, but the kind of changes we're seeing, such as police state laws coming down worldwide, uh, you know, in light of a yeah. global financial crisis coming, is going to be of a threat to everybody. Well, since 9-11, Elisa, the intelligence agencies in the Western world have got greater and greater and greater powers over our daily lives. The NSA led this, which is part of the Five Eyes, the National Security Agency in America, was given permission to launch this blanket surveillance over the whole world, effectively, which they've done. So we've called on one of the whistleblowers of that, William Binney, to be called to the New Zealand Royal Commission to testify because he proved that... Like, you can watch his documentary. It's called A Good American, 
right? It's really one of the best films you'll ever see. He shows how this, this is such an oppressive system they've got, which is not necessary. But if they've got that system, how come all these terrorists are always known to authorities, they always get through? The, and, and so we're not saying it's incompetence. This is what we're alleging something more, that there's an ulterior motive here and it's had the power that gives the state over us um, as part of this apparatus, this Five Eyes apparatus. We can't do justice now. Call in and get a copy and have a read of it. And don't forget to vote for CEC in the Senate. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks, Robert. Thanks, Alyssa. Join us again next week. Thank you.